Micah led us a moment ago in a song called 10,000 Reasons as to why we should thank God and honor God and bless God. Now, I don't know about you, but in the midst of life and in the midst of a life that's often very frustrating and, and very difficult, especially now, it's a whole lot easier to count the ways that we're frustrated rather than the ways that we're grateful, right? So as we begin this time of prayer, I want to encourage you to just pause for a moment and think of the things that you are grateful for. If you're watching uh, on a device that allows you to comment, maybe you could just type the thing that you're thankful for. But as we go to God in prayer, let's start by pressing pause on all the things that are tough and hard and difficult in the world and centering our mind on things that we're grateful to God for. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm thankful for a church that feels like family. I'm thankful that even though we can't all be together yet, that you've given us this, this crazy technology to keep us connected. I thank you that in moments of struggle, you're right with us. I thank you for how you've provided for us, for how you take care of us, for how you work all things together according to your riches and glory. I thank you for our families. I thank you for our friends. I thank you that you feed us and nourish us and shelter us. I thank you that you allow us to give Thank you that you allow us to live a life that is abundant. I thank you for the reality of eternal life that can begin today. I thank you for Jesus, for his life, for his ministry, for his teaching. I thank you for the cross. That symbol of pain and suffering. Thank you for a very real death that offers to us a very real life. I thank you, Jesus, that you rule and reign even today. Thank you that as we consider the challenges and the troubles before us today, 
that you, Lord, are the answer to every one of them. Because of how you gave and because of what you won and because of how you call us. Jesus, we're so thankful. 10,000 reasons seems too low a number to calculate all that you've done and all that you've given and all that you've provided for us. Lord, we say thank you. Even though it's tough, we thank you. Even though things are hard, we thank you. Even though things are uncertain, we thank you. And with grateful hearts, Lord, we pray. We pray for this world. We pray for our community. We pray for our nation. We pray for those places of brokenness, of tension, of injustice. We ask, Lord, that you would right wrongs, that you would heal hurts, that you would fix problems. Lord, we intercede for this world that you love so much. We're grateful for all that you've given. But we pray as your church that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. That the values of your kingdom, that the principles, that the love, that the justice of your kingdom would become manifest in this world that they would become manifest through us. Lord Jesus, as we spend a few moments in your word, and as we open these pages, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would open our hearts and that you would speak to us and that you would encourage us. And that in this divided world, you would give us the privilege of reconciling people to you. And we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you today, I would invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This great classic passage of scripture that concludes our series on what it means to be bridge builders. If you want to pull out your phone and follow along there, open the YouVersion app. Go to church together. 
And you'll find not only the scriptures, but also the sermon notes and also some additional quotes as well. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 to 19 offers for us instruction as to how we are to fulfill the works and the purposes of God in this world. In it, Paul gives us a direct commission that we must go and do that very thing that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. We must be bridge builders. We must be ministers of reconciliation. Over the past few weeks, we've talked about what it means to be a bridge builder. We've talked about how we need to have the humility to do so. Well, we've talked about how we must embrace and receive forgiveness and repentance, how we must serve, how we must fulfill our purpose, as Brian talked about last week. But you'll notice, though, that much of the bridge-building work that we've spoken about is under the surface. It's not about them and connecting with them. It's about allowing and inviting God to work in our hearts. It's almost like this work of reconciliation is like an iceberg, right? Where we only see the tip, but the real work, first of all, happens in us beneath the surface. But what Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians is this tip of the iceberg, that we've done the hard work of seeking forgiveness, of repenting, of humbling ourselves, of crying out to God in prayer. But having done that, we are commissioned to go and be ministers of reconciliation. And that's what I want to talk about today. What does it mean to be a minister of reconciliation? How do we pick up this mantle? How do we pursue and fulfill this great calling that God has given us in this divided world to be bridge builders? Let me provide a little context before Paul talks about this, he's talking about what's on the line, what's at stake as to why it is so important that we are bridge builders. He talks about how our world is groaning because things aren't as they should be. You know, honestly, the reason we've done this series, the reason we're here is because our world is groaning and we're looking for some hope. He talks about how this world is but a temporary dwelling for us. And he goes on to say that there is so much more ahead, that there is a heavenly dwelling infinitely bigger, infinitely better, infinitely more abundant than anything we can establish here on this world, in this planet. And so he paints this picture of what could be. 
He says there is more to life than you realize. And in order to get it, first of all, you must be reconciled with Christ and then you must reconcile in his name, in his purpose, for his sake. Starting at verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, in light of eternity... Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is plain to your conscience as well. We're not commending ourselves again to you, or giving you the opportunity to be proud of us, so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outward appearance rather than the heart. For if, as some say, we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, that's just for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. If we're to be ministers of reconciliation in this world, the first thing that we must understand is that we are compelled by Christ to make a difference in this world. I put it to you that many problems that our nation and our world are facing right now is because the church has done a poor job of being the church. We do not realize that to so many of the problems our world is experiencing that Jesus is the answer that God has entrusted to us as the church, the medicine, the vaccine for the sickness that's infecting and causing the sin in our world. We are compelled to make a difference. We are compelled to reconcile because in Jesus we have the answer. Paul says we know what it is to fear God. We know that one day we will stand before God and he will take account of of how we've lived. Paul knows that without grace from God, without the the mercy from God, without the, the free gift from God, there's a lot to fear. And so he says, because of all that Jesus has done for me, I have a responsibility to persuade people to follow him. We have a responsibility to persuade people to follow him. Unfortunately, when we hear the word persuade, which was a term that was deeply revered in, in this culture, in this context, today we hear the word manipulate. 
And one of the failings of the church, perhaps, over the last few years is that rather than try and compel people to follow Christ, we've tried to manipulate them to follow Christ. But Paul says here, as I am feeling compelled, as I'm trying to persuade people, I'm not trying to manipulate because my heart is pure. Well, what he says here is that my heart is pure before God, and I hope that my heart is pure before you. I hope that when you look at me, you don't see in me any manipulation, any political bias, any selfish agenda, any self-righteousness that's going to make things worse rather than better. Paul says, I know what God has done for me. And because of that, because it's so good, I want to persuade you, but I don't want to manipulate you. That's not part of who I am because my heart is pure. It's plain to God. And I hope it's plain to you. You know, so often there are things that I do that I think are right and holy and pure. But if I'm honest, my motives are a mixed bag. Some of them are good and healthy and holy, but some of them are profoundly selfish and sinful. And because we're such a, a mixed bag of motives, we as the church, so often, sometimes, we make things worse. Because people see the wrong motives, not the Christ-like motives. And so we must go back to fearing God, to trusting God, to following God, to becoming more like Jesus so that our hearts can be changed and our motives can be filtered. And so that when we act as reconcilers, that we can do so with a pure heart. Paul says, I know some of you think I'm crazy. And you're right, because I am. And I'll tone it down sometimes because of you. But I want you to know, he's saying, that my life testifies. And all of creation testifies that Jesus is our hope, that Jesus is the way. I'm not taking pride, he says, in my outward appearance. I want my heart to be pure before God, and a pure heart before God means that I want to love you. For the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. What I ask you today, what compels you? Surviving for some, making money for others. Protecting is compelling to many, staying safe and secure. But Paul says there's something bigger to be owned by. And that has nothing to do with yourself. That has to be by the love of God revealed in Christ Jesus. Because he died, and he died for all. 
And he rose and he rose for all. And we must live that risen life for those who are with us. The work of bridge building is hard. The work of reconciliation is hard. If we're doing it for any motive other than to be compelled by Christ, we're not going to get where we need to go. We are bridge builders, ministers of reconciliation, because we're compelled by Christ to make a difference. When issues of injustice come, we can't run away. When wrong and sin and unrighteousness happens before us, we must speak. But secondly, we must speak clearly. First of all, we must be compelled. We've got to engage, but then when we engage, we must do so clearly. We must be clear on what the message is. Verse 16 and 17, this is what Paul says, From now on, then... We don't know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we used to know Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. We must be compelled towards reconciliation. We must be clear on what reconciliation looks like. And Paul is saying that a life of reconciliation looks like the life that Jesus lived. One who loved all, who welcomed all, who cared for all, who died for all. We must look at Jesus as our Savior and as our friend and as our Lord. Paul says, so often so many people look at Jesus just from a worldly perspective. And he says, I used to do that. And in fact, even though I saw Jesus from a worldly perspective, he was so impressive from that perspective that I became jealous and wanted to kill him. But now I'm seeing Jesus differently. I'm seeing him from the perspective as a friend, of a savior. I don't see Jesus just as some historical figure. I don't see Jesus as some nice man who gives warm platitudes. I see Jesus as the savior, as the connector, as the bridge between humankind and humankind, but also, more importantly, between mankind and God. And when we see Jesus that way, everything in us and everything about us changes. We become new creatures. Our old way, our old life has gone. We must keep destroying that, realizing that Jesus has destroyed it. We must be clear that as bridge builders, our hope, our trust is in Christ. 
And that the goal of bridge building is not some nice kumbaya meeting, but that the goal of bridge building is to allow people to come to know Jesus because Jesus is our hope. Paul says, if you want to be a reconciler, you must be compelled that Jesus is the only way. If you want to be a reconciler, you must be clear that he is the Lord and the Savior and wants to make new creatures, new people out of us. That he longs to transform us. That he longs to change us into his image. We are compelled. We must be clear And then we must go as connectors. The kingdom of God transmits through the relational connections that we make. Paul says, verse 18, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This word, rec- word reconciliation is a powerful one. And interestingly, it takes its meaning from the political arena. It means to remove enmity between two aggravated parties. It means to change thoroughly. So often we think that reconciliation is about agreeing to disagree. So often we think that reconciliation is about learning to get along. Paul offers a different picture that comes when Christ in me connects with Christ in you and the kingdom of God is established. He's saying that when reconciliation happens, we change thoroughly. It's not a polite reduction of hostility, but it's a removal of that which offends. That's what our country needs right now. We need to do more than figure out how to just get along, although that will be a good start. We we need to figure out how we can really connect, how we can really listen, how we can really understand. Because as Paul says, he's committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. And when he talks about us, he's actually talking about us. Those who've been connected and reconciled to Christ, it is our responsibility to love this world to health and healing and relationship with Jesus. 
One of the things that's concerning me right now is everybody is looking to politics to fix our problem. Let me tell you, politics is not going to do it. Regardless of what happens on November 3rd, we're not going to be fully healed on November 4th. Politics is not the solution. Many say, oh, if only we could get smarter. And that's a good and godly thing, and we must pursue uh, wisdom as best we can, but, but that alone isn't. The ones who are going to bring reconciliation are us. Because Jesus has bridged that gap between us and God. It's our role now to bring the, build the bridge between one another through Christ. He is committed to us. He has given to us the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation only happens when the heart changes. And it's only Jesus that can change the heart. The church owes it to the world to keep spreading the gospel because the gospel of Jesus is our only hope. We are compelled. We must be clear. We must connect. Because when all is said and done, this is what we've been called to. Therefore, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made him who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are compelled, we must be clear, we must connect, because that is what we are called to do as ambassadors of Jesus. Corinth knew all about ambassadors. There was a lot of people traveling through. It was a pretty divided city. And Rome would often need to send ambassadors to Corinth to keep the peace. In fact, the, um, the, the Jews, the, the folks in Corinth had kind of divided themselves into two groups. There was the senatorial groups. These were people who didn't really like Rome, but they were going to keep the peace. And then there were these imperial groups who at every opportunity would rebel and would fight and would try to overthrow the Romans. And the Romans would send their ambassadors to the imperial people, to those who are going to cause the most problems, to those who are the most hurt, to those who are the most vulnerable, to those who are the most dangerous, to those who are the most broken, to those who are the most sinful, to those who are the most lost. And today as ambassadors of Christ, it's those people that we are called to. So, so often when Paul was in his former way of life, he would run and criticize 
and persecute those who didn't agree with him. But now that he knew Jesus, he knew that his call was to run towards them because he needed as an ambassador of heaven to offer them life and hope in Jesus. In the same way, when we see people we don't agree with, when we see people doing things that disgust us, Our job as ambassadors of heaven is not to turn our back and run away. It's to run towards because that's what we're called to do. Why again? Because of Jesus. Jesus, the one who knew no sin, became sin for us. On that cross took our sin and removed it from us as far as the east is from the west, so that that sin would be taken from us, that we may put on the the righteousness of God. And we may go into this world being righteous, living righteously, as ambassadors for Christ, so that people may see him. As we've been talking about building bridges, we only do so because Jesus has built a bigger bridge between us and God. And he looks at every one of us in our brokenness, in our pain, in our hurt, in our frustration. And he says, I'm calling you to be a bridge builder. As your life is turned around by me, you are compelled. As you see me, not as the world sees me, but as your friend and your savior, you can be clear on the message. As you see those who are hurting, who are lost, who are broken, who are troubled, connect with them. That the kingdom of God may flow through you to them. Because this is your calling. Because we have been reconciled with Christ. We must. In Jesus' name, as an ambassador for heaven, build bridges so that people can come to know the love and the life and the power and the forgiveness that can be theirs revealed in Jesus.